Tired of the negative news and flashover substance? It's time for Live with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and PhD with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamline, news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Live with Dr. Wendy. We are delighted you are here. My co-host is Larry Dersham. He's an estate planning attorney, but most importantly to the second half, he's a constitutional law expert who is going to break down one of our most interesting and important opinions the Supreme Court has given us this term. But first, it's time for the headlines with the silver lining, substance seasoned with salt. And topping the headlines today, no surprise, is the president's rally in Oklahoma. Now, why is this so incredibly newsworthy as it were? Well, first of all, it's the first rally of the pandemic season. So that's a big deal. Secondly, it's a rally that has gained a lot of momentum in terms of popularity, but also in terms of almost a a social and physical distance mentality, as apparently there were some empty seats. I don't know, those are probably filled in. But a lot of people wanted to go, but were afraid to go, particularly because this is going to be a rally that actually comes with a disclaimer, a waiver, but I'll get to that in a second. Now, if you have watched the photographs and the footage of the stands and the people that are actually at this rally that's going on as we speak, you would not know that we were in the middle of a pandemic. You also, by the way, to be fair, wouldn't have known that if you'd been watching the footage on the streets from protests for the last couple of weeks. In fact, you probably saw more masks then than maybe you saw at the rally because masks were not required at these rallies. But just to put all of this in perspective, our governor last week, Governor Newsom, issued basically a rule that we had to wear masks in public, highlighting the fact that as TV would have you forget, we're in the middle of a pandemic and we should be taking precautions. But back to one of the most, I I should say, concerning bits of, of headlines coming out of Tulsa is the fact that while that you didn't have to wear a mask and while the crowds were big, we had six of the staffers that were working on that Tulsa rally for President Trump test positive for coronavirus. Now, that was a big deal. Now, they were taken off and, you know, they are quarantining now, but that was just hours before President Trump was expected to arrive there. He's there now, of course, he's speaking and they're no longer there. But there were protocols, there were campaign staff that were fought, there was all the right things done and still you had six positive tests. Now, one of the other concerning things about this rally is that as of Saturday afternoon, Tulsa County apparently reported the most cases of any county in the state. There were 2,206 total cases and that's according to the Oklahoma State Department of Health. In fact, the state reportedly had its largest single day increase in coronavirus cases since the start of the pandemic. Now, that is very concerning. And perhaps that even accounted for some people enthusiastically buying a ticket to the rally and being afraid to go because of those numbers, Uh, especially because of the fact that attendees, while they will be given masks, they weren't required to wear them. 
But Larry, one of the other things that really caught my attention about this rally is that the people that decided to go must agree not to sue the campaign if they contract coronavirus. Is, is this going to be a trend? Is this the first of many waivers that we're likely to see at these large scale events? I think it is, Wendy. Absolutely. Uh, it just seems like when you think you have it under control, it, it pops up again. Uh, but what they did do at this rally, they did take temperature checks. They checked everybody coming in. And as you mentioned, they had face masks, but they were voluntary. And they had hand sanitizer. So I think they took all the precautions they could. But I would just remind everybody about Sweden. Sweden never did close down. I'm going to have to visit that country someday. I'm really, uh, you know, I'm intrigued by that. And they seem to be handling it okay. So I just hope that was a temporary spike and it will not continue. Well, here's the interesting thing about that that disclaimer. And um, I would like to hear more about the Sweden example. Um, you mentioned that every time this comes up, and it is, it's really one of those examples that deserves more discussion because exactly of the way they handle things. And I'm sure we can come up with other places as well. In fact, believe it or not, there are places in the United States that never closed down. We keep forgetting about that, or maybe we don't. Maybe we should be looking more to them as a model because it's not everyone who lives in a hotspot and it's not everyone that ever had to self-quarantine, not for one day, but let's save that for another segment. I, as a lawyer and you as well, am fascinated by this waiver, this agreement not to sue. So our listeners might be wondering, what, what the heck did that say? What did that sound like? How could they make people sign that? Well, any rally goers who RSVP to the event, even if you RSVP to gain admission, they had to agree to a disclaimer. What did it say? It said this. It said, we acknowledge the, quote, inherent risk of exposure to COVID-19 in any public place where people are present. And it also said, by attending the rally, you and any guests voluntarily assume all risks related to exposure to COVID-19 and agree not to hold Donald J. Trump for President Incorporated, as well as the center, global, or any of the affiliates, and it goes on and on with a bunch of legalese, but liable basically for any illness or injury. Now, as a practical matter, how do you prove if you sadly, and my, our hearts go out to anybody that has either contracted COVID or has relatives that have been impacted, you are in our prayers, but how in the world do you prove where you got it? That's the legal issue here. How do you prove now? I understand if you were quarantined on the Grand Princess, you probably have a lot better case. And sure, sure enough, there were lawsuits filed from cabins on that cruise ship, the, the floating infirmary before they even got to court, got to dock. But that's not true with any large scale event, especially given the fact that not only is this disease highly contagious, but it's contagious from people that are asymptomatic. That's the reason for the masks. Hopefully people will wear those. But I have to ask, and I have to wonder, do people have to sign disclaimers to participate in all of those public protests we've been seeing on the streets? Uh, I don't think so, as we saw on the news. <laughs> and it's really and that's kind, kind of, of a joke question, but I would like to hear your answer. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. My, my wife was, uh, you know, watching the, the, the play up to the rally today. And she said, you know, if we didn't have those other protests and riots, chances are pretty good that President Trump wouldn't be able to put on his event today. And it just made me think of a Bible verse. You quoted one last week. 
uh, Wendy, so I'm going to do it. Romans Let's 8, 28. Every week. <laughs> yeah. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8, 28. So Amen. maybe in a, in a certain sense, all that, uh, all those protests made it easier for Trump to open up uh, for the rally today. And uh, it's just interesting, but there are a lot of problems out there. Uh, it seems like there's a different set of rules uh, for the public protests that are, have been going on since last month, actually since uh, George Floyd unfortunately lost his life on, on May 25th. For example, in New York, uh, Bill de Blasio, the, pay, the mayor there, didn't seem to be too concerned that there were a number of rallies in his city where people were really lying down, face down on the street uh, in several different streets over the city. And uh, there's large protests uh, in a number of cities, Oakland, Sacramento, San Francisco, in San Diego. We all remember that in La Mesa. They burned down two bank buildings over there, and then they took over the highways temporarily. And uh, so those people were not social distancing, but maybe by those protests, it it opened the way to have these uh, events going again, like this rally today. Well, I'll tell you, along those lines, Larry, one of the things that um, was also a, a this just in headline today, remember that um, that autonomous zone we were covering in Seattle where we also worried about the lack of social distancing. Now, you didn't have to you didn't have to sign any kind of a disclaimer or a waiver to enter there. It used to be called Chaz. Now, I guess it's called CHOP. Um, there's been a lot of controversy over, well, is this just a case of inmates running the asylum or is this this sort of a sort of a burning man celebration in the middle of Seattle where everything's free, everybody's peaceful? Well, the headline today, the, the this just in headline today, the head of Seattle's police unit apparently went on record lamenting the lack, the absence of leadership in the city today after reports emerged that an early morning shooting in the so-called chop that zone left one person dead and another in critical condition so sadly it you never want to see any loss of life under any circumstances whether or not you agree with what these people are doing in this in this area but it really begs the question don't we need a police force to keep people safe and keep people alive i understand obviously we want good cops we want to make sure more good cops actually apply to the academy in this day and age but what what does this say about the propriety of this zone somehow continuing to operate? Right. Well, what they, they said in the interview today on Fox News, they said, uh, we need leadership now more than ever. And I find it ironic that the same public officials who are creating these decisions that put everybody's public safety at risk are now calling out for defunding of the police. And those two things just don't work together. Yeah. No, that's absolutely true. And and we talked about, we'll be talking about that again, I'm sure. Um, but today, after the break, we're going to talk about last week's surprise Supreme Court ruling. Larry's going to break that down in his constitutional lawyer hat, as am I. And we're also going to talk about some creative ideas for Father's Day. Um, we're going to especially talk about some of those dads who may be staying hashtag safe at home. So for some new, novel, unique ideas, stay with us. You're listening to Live with Dr. Wendy. cycle lowlights have no place here you're listening to headline highlights live with dr wendy on the answer san diego 
It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Live with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Live with Dr. Wendy. Last week, the United States Supreme Court surprised many people. Uh, Many people were excited about the surprise. The president was not. Uh, But the landmark decision is noteworthy for a variety of reasons. And the first one is what it held. And then we'll talk about what that might mean as a ripple effect on other cases that are pending. But basically, the Supreme Court redefines sex. S-E-X. What does it mean? And what does it mean as a noun, not as some sort of an action verb description, but the word, what's included? Because where does that word come from? It comes from Title VII. The significance of this decision in a practical sense is that until last week, many people don't realize this, it was still legal in more than half of American states to fire someone for being gay, bisexual, or transgender. But in a six to three ruling that was announced last week, the Supreme Court decided that the Supreme, that the Civil Rights Act of 1964 protects LGBTQ people from workplace discrimination. Now, how significant was this? So significant that if you tried to load it from the server or download it, you couldn't because there were too many people logging on at once trying to read, especially Justice Gorsuch 33-page decision. That gives you an idea of how important it was. And to quote from Justice Gorsuch, who, by the way, is is a Donald Trump appointee, he said, in our time, few pieces of federal legislation rank in significance with the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And this, by the way, is going to extend far beyond employment law, which was the context in which this case was heard. But it means more about the law than about the justices weighing in. Um, Justice Gorsuch and Roberts did not become born-again liberals, and we should not look to them to routinely join the left-leaning wing of the court. They voted their conscience on this one, as we hope they do at all times. Justice Kavanaugh, by the way, the president's other Supreme Court pick, was on the opposite side of the decision and actually penned his own dissent. So it was a very interesting study in contrast by two men appointed by the president. Um, And by the way, the president did weigh in afterwards, and he basically said, as we hoped he would, the Supreme Court has spoken. Now, of course, he's spoken since then. But here's the gist of it. The court said you cannot discriminate because of sex, and sex is being described as including being gay, bisexual, Um, and gender identity was also included there. This is the way the wind is blowing. And the court basically ironed out the the confusion. If you are a member of the gay community, you can't be married on Sunday than fired on Monday. There will be more more coming for sure along these lines. But what is the significance on other cases of this decision? Right, Wendy. Uh, As you mentioned, the Supreme Court ruled on Monday that uh, sex in Title VII the Civil Rights Act of 1964 now includes gender identity and sexual orientation. Now, when that law was drafted back in 64, sex, when they talked about sex in the act, uh, in the Civil Rights Act, it meant uh, male and female. Uh, But that's been broadened a little bit. So the question is, is the Supreme Court acting as a super legislature? by defining this in a way that wasn't intended 
1964? Or is it an elastic document that can kind of bend in the wind the way the wind is blowing? And so that's, that's a question I think we're, we're going to have to deal with. So one of the questions I was thinking of, Wendy, could the Congress, like say they, I don't think they will, but could they, if there's a case that's really goes against what they've legislated, could they annul that piece of legislation and uh, then rewrite it, rewrite the law? It's one possibility, I'm thinking. Uh, but I think the decision, the question is for me, does this hurt women in the long run? Does it ignore biology and reality and so forth? And what are the possible consequences? And this is what's really interesting. I'll get into this really quickly. Uh, opposite sex, uh, sex roommates uh, are disallowed. So uh, if you send your kid off to college, you know, what if, what if they put the same, the opposite sex in the same room? I mean, that's fine. I know there's a number of people that are okay with that, but there's a number of parents especially that wouldn't be. How about opposite sex bathrooms and even showers? Is that going to be okay? And I thought of this example. Uh, say you're at a restaurant and your wife or your daughter goes in to use the uh, the woman's restroom and you see somebody that, that maybe is, uh, you, you think is possibly not uh, a female go in there. Would you go in and warn her? Would you rescue her or just ignore it? And I think this is going to cause some interesting uh situations and probably is going to open up a lot of uh, litigation in the future. That's the way I see it. That's those are some very practical examples. I'll give you another one. How about the religious exemption? You know, at the end of his 33 page opinion, Justice Gorsuch invoked several potential caveats. You knew that was coming. There's always caveats with a groundbreaking landmark decision like this. He noted, for instance, some employers, they might have valid religious objections to hiring gay workers or trans workers. And so he adds that the worries about how will that 1964 civil rights law, how will that intersect with religious liberty? He basically says that's nothing new. And when you think about it, we have been talking about that for years. Um, He points, of course, as you might imagine, to the 1993 Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Listen to what he calls it. You heard of super spreaders with COVID. He calls this a super statute that may offer a lifeline, I guess, potentially to employers who object on religious grounds to hiring members of the gay community. And when you think about, again, going back to the practical example, what would that look like? This case, this landmark case that was decided last Monday, it's actually three cases together, isn't it? Oh, it absolutely is. In fact, it was uh, they consolidated them. I won't read the whole uh, the the full case names, but it was Gerald Lynn Bostick, and he's still alive and still going to get well. But they also he's the only one of the three yeah, that's still living. There's a Donald Zarda who's a a skydiver, and he actually unfortunately died on a base jumping accident. So his uh, executors his from his estate took over that case and brought it forward. And then there's the case of uh, Amy Stevens, who uh, she was working at a funeral home as a director. And after working there a number of years, she decided that she uh, he decided that he was going to change to be a woman. And then there was a conflict with the owner of that funeral home. And uh, unfortunately, that uh, Amy Stevens died uh, just uh, very recently at age 59 from complications of kidney failure. But it was three cases in one uh, for sure. And uh, I've got a really interesting uh, kind of a, a connected case, and it, it's related to uh, 
uh, Title IX of the Education Act of 1972. Now, this is a similar case because now men are competing in women's sports. And there's a case now, uh, her name is Selena uh, Soul, and she has filed a lawsuit along with uh, two other ladies because these men have transitioned to women, but they're very tall, they're very fast, and they're now these men are dominating the uh, women's track racing. And so what do you think, Wendy? It seems like it's taking the ability for these women who work very, very hard to get scholarships and to get, you know, first place and so forth. So I'm just saying, is that fair uh, to the to the ladies that are working so hard to allow yeah, this kind no, of competition? That- yeah, no, that question has been litigated and continues to be litigated in, in other cases. So the question now, which we'll be following, is how does this ruling last week impact cases like that? Um, and we could, I mean, we could spend, we can come up with all sorts of examples about how it would or wouldn't be fair, or is it, can we somehow um, even the playing field? And it'll be interesting to see how some cases that are pending in the system and percolating through the system right now um, will in fact be impacted. But we can't end the segment without the silver lining. So we're going to talk a little bit about Father's Day tomorrow. So whether your father is still with us, has passed, you are a father or you have a father or maybe a father figure, tomorrow is a special day. Uh, maybe you're going to celebrate it with friends and neighbors who are fathers themselves and you can celebrate with them. So the president actually issued a Father's Day proclamation yesterday. Uh, He, and I won't read the whole thing, it's interesting, it goes on and on, but he did declare that tomorrow, June 21st, is Father's Day. He called on United States government officials to display the flag of the United States on all government buildings and invite state and local governments and the people of the U.S. to observe Father's Day with appropriate ceremonies. So he goes on, and it's interesting um, that during the time that um, he issued this proclamation, Uh, We forget that this has been celebrated on these particular days uh, every year. And we we note that Congress approved April 24th, 1972 as amended. So there actually is a statute that is related to Father's Day. We normally think that, gosh, how do they come up with this stuff? So it's kind of interesting. That's where it came from. But one thing that I was looking at today, because it really is a sign of the times, is what do you what would you get a father that? for whatever reason, is still staying hashtag safe at home. Maybe he's compromised immunity, maybe over 65, whatever it is. Well, I found a great example from um, Uncommon Goods, scotch-infused toothpicks. It's a gift set. So they are fine single malt scotch with infused toothpicks. I also found a variety of beer starter kits for dads that want to brew their own beer. I guess I don't think that dads drink wine. I happen to know plenty of them do. But we also have to eat. So there was a plethora of grilling-themed gifts and barbecue accessories from steaks to spices. What do you see out there that dads and and maybe kids that haven't yet, they're looking for that last-minute gift. What are they going to buy? I think they're going to uh, basically just uh, continue on and maybe go see a movie, uh, order out some food, and the main thing, Wendy, I found over the years, uh, I have two daughters, and now I'm actually a grandfather, is to uh, just spend time with your family. And I just tell my my daughter and son-in-law, you know, we don't need to always eat out every time we see each other. I just like hanging out with you guys. So I think more than anything else, that is the best Father's Day present you could ever possibly have. 
Just to Amen be to, to that. Out. You know, when I'm going to um, bookend our segment with another scripture, a commandment, in fact, honor your father and mother, right? Amen, that will yeah. be an appropriate thought for tonight as well. Um, so we want to wish happy Father's Day to all the dads that might be listening. Uh, and you know what? If you're staying safe at home, maybe your kids will also buy you a series of your favorite show or movie. From Seinfeld to Star Trek, Game of Thrones to Twilight Zone, there is something out there for everyone. From subscriptions to newspapers to magazines to food to movies. So happy Father's Day, everyone. We look forward to joining you next week. Thank you for joining us tonight on another episode of Live with Dr. Wendy, Headlines with a Silver Lining. Have a blessed week. Thank you for joining us for Live with Dr. Wendy. You can learn more about Dr. Wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com. That's wendypatrickphd.com. Tune in every week at this same time as Dr. Wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day. This has been Live with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego.